Welcome to the Simply Charlotte Mason podcast. I'm Sonia Schaefer. Today we want to dive into a question that we received, and here to help me discuss it is my friend and coworker, Laura Pitney. Laura, it's good to have you back. Thank you for having me. Here is the question we're going to discuss. I'm confused on how I expect my child's very best, once that can be expected, of course, and instilling a love of learning. I feel that by expecting the very best from my 10-year-old and 11-year-old son, it will kill their love of learning. What am I missing? It's a great question. It is. I think we need to back up first and define what we mean by love of learning. Okay. It, it seems like, I mean, in my mind, it's not so much we have to instill it as every child is born with one or with it. They have this innate sense of curiosity about everything around them, and we just have to be careful we don't squelch that. Yes, I think that children are naturally curious, and when the questions arise or they're curious about something, that one way we can feed that love of learning is to be just as intrigued alongside them and to you know help them uh, ask another question and find the answer and then dig a little deeper or, um, you know, if they're interested in frogs and a pond, let's go find a pond with frogs in it. You know, just helping, you know, walk along, alongside them, you know, as they ask the questions. I think that's naturally what we want to do. Yes, yes. And sometimes that gets harder as they get older. Yeah. And this is about a 10 and 11 year old. Yeah. So it's possible that their love of learning has been squelched along the way. Let's talk first about what are some ways that it can be squelched. Um, one of the ideas that comes to my mind is if they are in an atmosphere that was focused on just grades, um, just dry facts, competition, you know, it got the focus off of the learning itself as a delight and on those other items. Yeah, it was. it's almost like they were forced to conform on the outside, but not on the inside. And so that love of learning really does come from the heart. And so if they've come out of an environment that really just wanted the conformity of the outside student, <laughs> of the performance or the behavior, that kind of thing, then, you know, I can definitely see how that would feed into being a negative thing for a child. And, and that would be a hard transition to get that back. But I think the parent has a good role in that, or the teacher, you know, just a baby steps, I guess. Like when um, you have all the things in place, like you're using um, good books that lend itself to good questions or ideas, or, you know, once you are have all the tools in place that love of learning could happen easier, then the parent or the teacher's role is to make sure that you're, you know, kind of taking a, a deep breath and giving them time to maybe process and even ask questions. So I think that it's something the kids can overcome, but it's definitely something for the parent or teacher to be more mindful of yeah. as they see that hindrance or the lack of that love of learning. I almost think of it like a plant that has withered. Yeah. And we need to just nurse it and carefully, yeah. you know, get it where it's in the optimal light and give it just the right amount of water, a little fertilizer, and just kind of, <laughs> you know, rekindle yeah. it, bring it back. Right. It's still there. Yeah, yeah. it's there. We just got to get it going again. Yeah. A another idea for rekindling it would be to 
make sure we're including a wide variety of subjects. Because not every child is going to love handwriting. Correct. (laughs) Not every child is going to love math. Not, you know, they'll have different areas that they love. And so if we are only giving them a very narrow slice of subjects, it's possible we're not hitting the ones that they love. Right. And that definitely would affect their desire to want to learn, I think. I mean, yes, they still have to do the subjects that we want them to do or feel like that they're required to do. But I think, you know, you're definitely correct in in encouraging the teacher to make sure that they're giving that wide variety. Um, Just because, again, we don't know what subjects are going to connect with our children differently. And um, the downside of having narrow subjects is it does become more task-oriented versus that love of learning oriented. Just because, you know, if we're already having a narrow track of subjects, then usually our focus is let's just get it done so our school yeah. day can be over. So check it off. Just yeah. And it and check yourself, you know, make sure that your motives as the teacher are right. I think that's another thing you you talked about there yeah. that can instill a love of learning or rekindle it is the the parents' attitude or the mm-hmm. teacher's attitude not just toward the students learning, but toward learning in general. Yeah. You know, are we modeling an enthusiasm yeah. for continuing to learn about everything around us? Or are we content to, you know, just check off the boxes? Yeah, I, I agree. Our attitude definitely is an example before them. And I think there's the I just think about my own life and the practicality of what you're saying is, you know, I'm not necessarily in school myself, but I'm always trying to learn and do better. And even like with, you know, things we're studying at church, you know, there's always just this, there's always something I feel like I can study, so to speak, and grow deeper in. Um, But also like managing my house, there's lots of things in my home that I may not know how to do. For instance, we had a window break in our master bedroom and a rock had hit the, the window with the lawnmower and, and had shattered the outer pane. And so I was like, okay, you know, what am I going to do? So we ordered it, but then I was like, you know what, I can install it. I can figure this out. And so, you know, thanks to Google and YouTube, you know, I That's figured right. out how to do it versus having to pay somebody to come to our home just to, you know, slide it out and in um, kind of thing. So I felt like that it was an example to my children that, yeah, I don't know how to do this. I may not want to do it, but it's some it's a way that I can grow and continue to learn. So now I feel like, oh yeah, I can replace a window, you know, even though it wasn't that hard, but you know, it's the well, same it thing as the example. Huge. You know, it was an example to the kids to to fix a problem that was even in my in our, in our home, and it wasn't necessarily book related. If that makes sense, yes. it's that love of learning that oh, we can figure this out, or we can do it, or how would this work if we did it this way? So I just think that it's just in general the atmosphere of your home naturally, you know, hopefully. <laughs> yes, so. yes. Okay, so you're replacing windows. My big thing yesterday, <laughs> I decided to try and figure out how to replace the water filters under our sink. Yeah. Now, everybody's like, well, you unscrew with the old <laughs> one and you screw in the new one. But I had to learn yeah. that, you know? That was the first time yeah. I tried doing that. So I'll let the viewers <laughs> judge which was the hardest task. But the thing was, we, we needed to have the habit of best effort mm-hmm. as we approached that new learning experience. And so I don't think that 
instilling a habit of giving your best effort is automatically going to squelch a love of learning. I could see how it could if you weren't, weren't careful. Yeah. If you focus only on the effort and neglect to kindle that love of learning, you, you could overbalance it. Does that make sense? It does. And I think part of that is teaching why they're doing it. I think that really helps. Um, so I, I have two examples. One with my daughter, Chloe, who is 10. And we have... No, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought last time we talked, she was eight. Oh, time flies. So <laughs> here we are. She's 10 already? She is 10. Wow. She is, and she's a little diva. So I have lots of parenting <laughs> that I need to do. So... <laughs> Um, so we just have refocused on her handwriting, um, honestly, just being the last. And not that she's been neglected, but my time has just been divvied up differently over the years. So now I'm like, oh, let's just polish that handwriting a little bit. So in her mind, she she can write. She can read what she's writing. She can, you know, write letters to her friends or to grandma, that kind of thing. So her reasoning for why she needs to polish it doesn't exist. Like she thinks it's fine. So for me, as the teacher, looking at her handwriting, I'm like, I don't really think this is your best effort. Like, I understand where she's coming from, but I just, I know she can do better. She has the motor skills. I'm not asking anything of her that I know she can't do. And so we're kind of at a, almost like a standstill right now between her heart understanding why I want it to be better and my heart as the mom and teacher wanting her to understand she should give her best effort and not just settle. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with her. And so one thing I'm just trying to do is not um, not just consider it something I'm checking off the daily list, but to really um, watch her do her handwriting and compliment her when she forms a letter right or, you know, touches the line she's supposed to touch, you know, as she's forming the letters. So um, one way I'm trying to help uh, her want to give her best is just giving her positive reinforcement and giving her time versus her just rushing through it to be done. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with her. I don't know. I'll let you know how it ends up. <laughs> well, I think that's important, yeah. though, that you are taking that step back yeah. and talking about the bigger picture. Because as we said before, she probably doesn't love handwriting as a subject. Right. And that's fine. But we can still instill in her that habit of doing best effort rather than good enough. Yes. And that should apply for all of our lives. Mm -hmm. It's an important skill to take into our adult lives. So if, if you can take that step back and just encourage her, and this is why I want you to work on best effort. It's yeah. not so you'll win a handwriting trophy, yes. <laughs> but it's so that you can practice this habit. Yeah. I think that's very important. Yeah. Keep it up. Thank Keep you. going. Thank you. you can do I'll it. I'll let you know how it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> Another example that has come to mind is this over the past weekend, um, we were getting ready for company at our house. And so all my kids know how to change their sheets and remake their bed, especially when they're giving up their bed for company. You know, we just obviously you want that hospitality component, component to be, you know, um, where it should be, you know, clean sheets. It's a good idea. Good thing. Um, so I asked my oldest to change her sheets for her bed so that when her cousins came, you know, that they would have clean sheets for her bed. And 
So I'm doing one of the beds and she's doing her bed. And I look over there and I was just like, oh my word, what is she doing? Like, does she not even know how to change sheets? But she does. She just didn't care about it, them being wrinkly. So I'm not saying it has to be like hotel standard here, but you know, if you have a fitted sheet, I expect them and they have been taught to make sure they're over the corners of the mattresses. They shouldn't be lumpy on the corners. And so for her, she's like, mom, I know how to make up a bed. They're fine. And, I was, and we had this whole conversation of that the wrinkles don't bother her, that when she changed her sheets, she, I mean, she's fine. You know, it, it literally does not bother her. So we had this conversation about how, you know, we need to do it right. And by not having the corners over the mattress, to me, isn't right. Because if you move around a lot in your sleep, the, the sheets are going to come off yes. and you're going to be in a little burrito in your blankets, you know. And and then your guests are not feeling comfortable in your home. Right, right. And that's the motive um, that I tried to, to point out to her, that it wasn't what she was comfortable with and what she could care or not care about with her sheets, but what would best make our company feel comfortable. And so we just had this conversation. It was a great teaching, you know, point that, you know, our standard that may be good enough for ourselves, but is it the best for, you know, the, the purpose we're doing it for, which in this case was for company. And usually if you have wrinkly sheets, you just tend to think they might be dirty if they're wrinkly or somebody else has already slept in it, you know. Anyway, so again, that wasn't school related, but it was more of a heart issue and just something for her to process and think about. And so it was that same, what we're talking about, best effort in that situation. Yeah. And it affected somebody else. It wasn't just for her. Yeah. Taking, again, yeah. that was taking the step back, looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. And I think that might be a key in, in the question asker's <laughs> relationship here too, that especially with a 10 and 11 year old, you can have these conversations about why we are expecting best effort and why we're practicing it. I was thinking about um, someone who has a love for cooking, let's say. Not me. I, that's not you. Yes, I know. Nor me. But someone. Let's yeah. just imagine somebody who has a love for cooking. They, If they want to improve in that, they might um, work on their techniques, whether it's, you know, slicing or sauteing or I don't know think of another cooking word here <laughs> mixing no you mix stuff I think right? you do yeah yeah <laughs> insert cooking word here but they might want to work on those techniques so that they can grow and get better or changing the window out or changing the water filters you work on certain techniques you practice them so that you can even enjoy that love more agreed it's a great analogy yes yes so if there is a particular subject that your child loves to do and has an interest in, I think requiring best effort in the bigger picture is just a way for them to practice and get better and better at learning. I th here it is. All right. It just clicked. If best effort is presented as the end, I think it could squelch love of learning. Yeah. But if it's presented as a means to an end, you use the best effort, you practice with the best effort so that you can improve, whether in the subject you love or in your ability to do well in life. 
it's a means to that end. Right, because the end is is always uh, can always be improved. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yes. So even if you feel like you've perfected something, there's always going to be a next step or another level or you know. Yes. So I, that makes sense. So I think so smart. Ah, okay. it just clicked. <laughs> I think that's the the big difference is if we're focusing on best effort just for best effort's sake, or if we're focusing on best effort so that we can continue to grow and improve and learn as persons in all areas of life, and maybe our children need the, that reminder. Maybe we need that reminder yep. as well. <laughs> well, I wish you well in your new window, and uh, in, I hope your company enjoys yeah. the beds. Sheets. And keep going on the handwriting. We're going to keep in- emphasizing best effort for a reason, that we want that child to become the best version of herself that she can possibly be in many areas of life. Thanks. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe through iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also subscribe to the video version of this podcast or read the blog post on our website at simplycharlottemason.com. All of those links will be in the notes, along with links to any resources that I mentioned. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time.